0: Everything that happened to me up to this point could not have been laid out in any more of a way. We ended up getting Chief Garcia uh, as our chief, somebody who cares about the troops, somebody who ended up looking at a problem. Said, "I need something created." So. Everybody sat down, penciled something in came up with the wellness unit. He ended up having it implemented. Once it was implemented, he went on ahead and ended up putting out the 30-day inpatient allowance for administrative leave. So I was walking on a razor's edge um, for the last two years. Um, My drinking had just exponentially gone worse and worse and worse. There there is a line that once you cross it, you can't cross it into alcoholism. For the entire time that I've been here, my main purpose that I've enjoyed is going out, helping the citizens of Dallas as a guardian, as a protector, doing what I can, then going home. It was somebody, it was the Dallas Police Department, not this individual. In my final days at rehab, I had gone on ahead and realized what had been given to me as a second chance. I ended up telling myself and telling God that if there is something I can do to help out another officer on this department in some way, shape, or form, or some other alcoholic in the dark across
1: the country, in some way, shape, or form, I was going to do it. You're listening to the ATO Bridging the Divide podcast, brought to you by the the Officer Foundation.
2: Since 1999,
1: the ATO has given assistance to the first responder community. And now we want to give them a platform to hear their incredible stories.
2: We also want to hear
3: the stories of the many people that support us.
1: Our community is small, but it is strong. We have differences. We don't always agree. And we all make mistakes
2: but together we can grow we can heal
0: and we can learn from those mistakes
2: and together we can bridge the defile
1: If you build it, he will come. That line became famous from the iconic baseball movie, Field of Dreams. However, others will know it from the Bible, where God answers Noah's question of where he will get all the animals to fill his ark after it was built. Sometimes you need to take a leap of faith, a leap in what you build will indeed succeed. You have to sway the skeptical eye that gazes at what you created so that it may be embraced and attract those who need it most. This is a story of the Dallas Police Department building something unique, something special, something that can extend careers, heal families, and save their lives. This is truly a tale of a life being saved. A promising young career set back on track. In 2022, Chief Eddie Garcia saw a need for change. A need to build something unique to make a difference for the future of the Dallas Police Department. If you build it, he will come. It was built, and he has come. And today he has come to the ATL stage to tell his story of survival and gratitude. I'm Joe King. I'm sitting with Danny Kennedy and Kent Wolverton. The winds of Dallas PD have changed over the past year. First, a unit was built to put not only a focus on officer wellness, but also create a safe haven for officers to trust and know it's okay to reach out to have hard conversations and make tough decisions that could change their life or save their life. We're in the business of saving lives and improving the quality of life for so many in the city, but we're sometimes not the best at improving our own life and our own quality of life. Today's courageous guest proved it can be done. And we hope this story inspires others and they know this olive branch that is extended is strong and divine intervention is very real. Gordon, thank you so much for coming on with us. And I want you to finish this story off. Thank you. Gordon, we're just gonna start from the top. We're going to get into the, to the journey that got you to the doors of the wellness unit, but I want, to, I want the listener to know where you grew up and how you got to DPD, and I want the listener to see the snowball cumulative effect that this profession can take on, on a human being to get to a point that you had to come to the wellness unit to begin with. Where would you grow up? I grew up in Southern California,
0: a little place called Midway City. In uh, 2000, I ended up moving over to Flower Mound, Texas. After that, I spent there all the way through elementary, middle, high school. When I ended up uh, graduating high school, I ended up uh, going out to uh, University of Texas Arlington for a few years. Changed my major, left to uh, go knock out my basics at uh, community college, is just in the area. How did law enforcement get on, get on your radar? Uh, it ended up getting on my radar because I switched from a uh, kinesiology sports science over to a uh, criminal justice and I was uh, originally going to go on ahead and uh, Get my associates in criminal justice and I was taking some night classes and Probably one of the most brutally honest recruiters for Dallas PD ended up coming into one of my classes <laughs> Were You able to and say who that is? I do not remember. I wish I remember <laughs> what do you mean by brutally honest? It was not there was no fluff that was a uh, given to it. It was just honest. When Tom Popkin was it? Sounds <laughs> <know, sales laughs> like Tom. <laughs> Shout out Tom. <laughs> <It's> hashtag Tom. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was, it was incredibly honest as to uh, what to expect uh, as opposed to just saying, Oh, you could end up going here, get to this rank or do this. So it got my, uh, my interests peaked. So I went on ahead and I met uh, with a recruiter down at headquarters Ended up filling out the packet, and then six months later, I was uh, sitting in the academy.
1: You were in class 338 and graduated in 2014. Where did you go right after you graduated?
0: So as soon as I ended up uh, graduating, I ended up uh, doing my uh, field training down over at uh, Channel 1, the Central Division. Um, After I finished there, I ended up uh, bouncing around for the next several years between the uh, bids between Central and CBD. After I ended up uh, getting to 4th Watch Central back in 2019, I ended up getting picked to do an enrichment program for about eight months with the vice unit in their uniform division. After there, I ended up uh, getting onto 3rd Watch bikes down in downtown. After that, I ended up leaving uh, because I promoted. Went back to uh, Deep Nights uh, CBD where I ended up uh, training rookies. And after that I bidded for Northwest Third Watch. And while I was there for only about two months, I ended up getting selected to be a part of Chief Garcia's uh uh place network investigation unit which focuses on uh, violent
1: crime. Okay. So when you first hit the streets, not having any background in in law enforcement and in, what struck you the most is the the, the excitement, the the danger both. And were you prepared for what was out there in the city of Dallas? So what ended up striking me
0: the most was because my primary phase was on deep nights. So I got to see a lot of stuff. I ended up going to hot calls multiple times a shift, um, not knowing what was going on because I had zero background whatsoever coming into the Academy and, uh, this department, uh, As far as being prepared, uh, I thought the uh, Academy did a really good job on giving you some tools in the toolbox to be able to effectively make reports, make arrests, fend for yourself, essentially. But one area that I did think was a bit lacking was on the mental aspect, on dealing with what you were going to be seeing on a day-to-day basis.
1: Yeah, prior to going to the uh, Dallas PD, the, had had you ever seen uh, been like a physical fight? I had been in only a handful of uh, physical fights,
0: but just like you know, playground, play yard, schoolyard, just little fights, nothing major. Never been in a foot chase. I had not been in a foot chase <laughs> ever. Like, like that's just
1: normal you, things yeah. that people <laughs> ever. Hey, come come over here. I just want to chase you. Have it's, you it's ever tag Joe? Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever pulled a gun on somebody? No ever had a gun pulled on you prior to getting out? Nope. Okay. You ever seen a dead body?
0: I had not seen a dead body.
1: See, they can talk about things in the academy and, and show pictures and, and go through training, go through modules, but it doesn't really prepare you for what's out there and what you're going to be uh, you know, exposed to.
2: Where they don't talk about it are the years of seeing the worst in humanity every day and to the point to where you're just almost angry when you go home, just tired of seeing crap.
1: Yeah, and it, it adds up. And I'm want to I want to talk about uh, cumulative PTSD. Cumulative P- PTSD is could be more harmful than than just a traumatic PTSD from a single event like a an officer-involved shooting or how uh, he gets getting shot at where you don't shoot back. Guy bad guy drops the gun, everything works out fine, and you go you take him to jail, take them, talk to the detective, and then you go home, and that's kind of it, right? You don't really prepare for that. The ups and down of fighting somebody, going over a fence, fighting them more, uh, running up in the dope houses like, you know, we all did here. Uh, it doesn't, that constant adrenaline rush that's the hypervigilant state that you have to be in. You're not ready for that. And out in the city of Dallas, you're thrown to the fire. Uh-huh. And this cumulative effect of the small pinpricks It really is like death by a thousand pinpricks. And then you have a huge event, like a 7-7, right? Um, Can you tell the listener, one, I want to get into there's two reasons that that day is significant for you personally uh, and professionally. Can you tell the listeners why that day is significant?
0: So that day is pretty significant to me because – I was on my day off because I had taken the previous night, because I was still on Deep Nights, because it was my 25th birthday. Um, I had gone out to dinner with my dad and brother. We had just gone back to his house when all of a sudden I got a phone call, and it was somebody who never calls me. And I looked at the phone, answered it, and said, what's going on? well, are you okay? And I said, of course I'm okay. Why wouldn't I be okay? I hadn't have turned on the news at all. Um, I turned on the TV and I mean, it didn't matter what news channel it was. It was right there. My dad, he's standing in the kitchen. I was standing in the living room and my dad just looked at the TV, looked at me. I looked at him. And the last thing I said to him was, I'm sorry. And then ran out of the house. Um, I was on the phone with uh, my sergeant. I don't know why I was asking for permission because I was going to go anyways saying, do, do you guys need help down there? As I'm driving in my, in my truck down, uh, down the highway, he just said, just get here, hangs up. I managed to, uh, dive behind a SWAT Tahoe that was coming down 35. So I had a pretty much straight shot into downtown, um, my, my sergeant, he was tossing keys to any officer that was showing up to just go get in a squad car, get to the staging area or wherever. Um, I had just recently uh, bought my own heavy vest and, uh, and helmet at the time. Um, they, were, they weren't being issued out <clears throat> as far as I'm aware of. But the position I ended up getting posted up at was uh, Market and Elm Street. And I ended up, I didn't realize it as soon as I showed up, but I found out real quick when I got told to get my ass a little bit behind the wall because I realized that the shooter was right above me. Um, I could see a shot-out squad car there on Elm Street. Um, ended up finding out later on that that was uh, apparently where Sergeant Smith ended up going down at, and I had recently started becoming friends with him. <clears throat> so, I'm posted up there. I ended up having, like, four other uh, patrol officers that were behind me on that corner, because if somebody could take a round, it was me, because nobody else had a heavy vest. And it felt like ages that I was just standing there posted up on the wall with my gun up towards the window then when SWAT ended up uh, detonating I mean you, you could feel that that blast and feel that wall shake all the way from the outside it was about maybe maybe 20 minutes later myself and officer probesius we ended up getting picked to uh, go up and secure the shooters body and walking through the hallways and then the uh, stairwell with all the different lettering and signing that he ended up putting on the wall with his own blood all the way to that room and we were just told to stand there and secure the body for hours and hours on end i mean because it was because it was in the summertime it started getting warm and then the AC and everything was blown out of that entire building. Um, you could start just slowly smelling, uh, the blood and the iron just getting into the air. And then just that lingering smell of almonds, which I ended up coming to find out is what compact explosive smells like after it's been detonated. Um, Uh, again, I don't, I don't remember exactly how many hours, I think it was five or six hours that we were just posted in that, that small little room. So what time is this? Uh, the sun, the sun is, uh, already, uh, come up for about two hours. And so you've been up for over 24 hours? Easily. Um, and then ended up having some day shift guys come up to relieve us. And then we went home. Um... I lost my faith in God that
1: day. Why? Because.
0: I ended up losing my faith in God that day because Michael Smith was a good man, family man. And then to find out that Brent Thompson. Was also killed. And. I got to meet him. Several times. Because he worked over at the Weston Transfer Station. So. I remembered looking up. Because I went. I went back to my dad's place. And I just looked up. And I went. Either you're not real, or you're not the God I believe in, because why could this end up happening to, to, to two guys that I knew that were really good, much less the fact that I had gone to meet Michael Smith, because he worked off duty at the Baptist Church. That was near my apartment that I lived at that time. And he was starting to get me to go back to church again. So I just turned my back on God that day.
2: You said on that day you lost your faith in God. Yeah. So obviously that is going on with you spiritually. Mm Mm-hmm. You're giving us an idea on how you're viewing yourself in this world from that standpoint. What about how you view view yourself in this world as an officer, your relationship with the community? Were you even thinking about those things? Or was it just more the focus on the internal struggle spiritually and with yourself? I mean, was that also occupying your mind, like you as an officer going back to work? The type of situations you put in, with the way the climate was back then, the political climate, the climate with our communities.
0: So, my uh, my viewpoint on that, in terms of going to work and the community, was the exact same. I I didn't lose faith in in humanity or the community. Um, I mean, my very first day was a. Uh, uh, in November of 2014, and it was when uh, the protesters ended up taking over I-30. So, I mean, my very first night was dealing with protests. Um, I've I've never minded them whatsoever. Um, so, in terms of it happening during a protest, people uh, calling to defund the police. I've I've never had any real thought of oh, this again or. Blaming them for anything in that aspect, <laughs> really, I, it just came down to spiritually. I just I I blamed God for allowing that to happen to those individual people. Um, I mean, it might have been one of those things where I was just like, well, uh, why not, why not me instead? I mean, I'm just I'm a single guy, no kids, nothing like that going on. And these guys were all family men, men of God. I mean, I, I I, was a little bit of a lapsed Catholic just because I wasn't really going to church as much because I would just be like, ah, oh, I just want to go home and go to sleep but as soon as I get home. So I just kind of stopped going that way. But these guys were still doing everything every single time every day. And so that Strong
2: examples of men.
0: Yeah. yeah, and so that's why I ended up uh, just I only lost my uh, my faith in God that day, not the community or any uh, anything else.
2: Yeah, so I think a majority of officers were going through a lot of stress with relationships in their communities, with their own families, with their identity in this police world and how they're viewed. And it sounds like that was less of a stressor for you. It was more the internal. Spiritual and the relationships that you had with these other two officers who were killed.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I mean, I didn't even get to know them on a super personal level because I mean, it was more like when I would talk to uh, Thompson, it would just be while we're at work or in between something. And then uh, uh, Sergeant Smith, it was when I ended up uh, showing up to uh, the church that he was working off duty at up in North Dallas. That I'd end up just getting to talk with him for about I don't know. 20 or 30 minutes at a time and then i mean i got to know him enough where i was like this is this is a good solid dude and then when i got to hear more and more about him uh and thompson from uh the funerals and then just people knew him for years that ended up just hurting even more on on why them
1: did you go to the funerals
0: i ended up going to uh to michael smith's um i kind of went on ahead and started my uh, downhill spiral um i feel personally now i feel like i ended up betraying the department because i ended up uh, choosing instead of going to the other ones that i would just sit at home with a bottle um thompson's i remember i had like half my class a's on and then i just sat down on the couch uh, in my apartment with a bottle and just started i started down that path uh after that incident
2: had you drink before this
0: uh i had drunk a, a little bit in a social at uh atmosphere and then uh, but I, I guess have you had did
2: you drink before it as a coping mechanism uh, with co- certain stress
0: coping um i i had started a, a little bit <clears throat> not too much um uh one of the incidences that ended up uh I, I, actually, the first incident that I ended up having that I started coping with was uh, Paul Miltenberger. He was a, a young college guy who ended up getting killed on 55-55. Um, he's mockingbird by a guy that was just speeding down, and he, uh, he died on Easter Sunday. Um, that, just because of the significance of the date, and then um, the sounds of the people that loved him that had come up with him just to... Ear-piercing screams. I mean, it was one of those where it was. It, it became really hard to sleep, so I ended up throwing back like two or three just to kind of help quiet my head.
2: And how long did this last? So, if you were using this as a coping mechanism, how long would such an episode last for you to deal with something, or would it? it did didn't, it really start and it never ended?
0: It never stopped.
3: So we've we've mentioned it a couple of times. Coping mechanism. How we use alcohol as a coping mechanism. But explain really. What are you trying to cope through? Is it you're trying to just stop thinking about what you're thinking about? Is it to help you get to sleep like numb yourself? What was it
0: uh when it what it when it all ended up boiling down to in the end was um, uh, before I ended up crossing the line um, was i i I was having trouble sleeping just because it was deep night, so my body was starting to reject the hours, so I would end up having like a, a few to just like knock me out then it became trying to just silence my head and the screams that I'm hearing cuz I I mean I loved going to the hot calls I mean being the one to be able to show up save the day help somebody so I was drinking to just silence the screams that I just kept hearing while I was uh by myself um and then to try and not have the uh the flashbacks coming back and then after july 7th um, i started drinking to also try and just phase myself out because the silence in downtown that ended up happening afterwards was the most eerie terrifying sound i had heard so even in like the dead silence that ends up bringing me right back to that day so really it just became just compounded with everything like the I smell of reason.
2: explosives, which you may have never smelled before. Yeah. I, uh, the sight you
0: saw in the crime scene. still have issues uh, yeah. being able to eat almonds just because of the uh, the smell of it. Like, just ends up bringing me right back.
3: I never actually noticed the almonds before, but now that you mention it, it's basically right there. Yeah.
1: You mentioned you were walking on razors um, in your day-to-day life. Can you explain that?
0: So I was walking on a razor's edge, um, for the last two years. Um, my drinking had just exponentially gone worse and worse and worse. And there, there is a line that once you cross it, you can't uncross it into alcoholism. Um, what I ended up doing was I ended up, uh, figuring out, uh, through trial and error with a breathalyzer was from the moment i ended up getting home to minimize the hangover and to be triple zeroed out i ended up uh drinking i would have to end up drinking my entire fifth of bourbon within three and a half to four hours of getting home and that's if i get home like pretty much a half hour after my shift ends um by the time i end up finishing that then i could end up going to bed. When I'd wake up in the morning, I'd end up popping three Excedrin and then taking uh, a scoop of uh, pre-workout which with 300 milligrams of caffeine just on an empty stomach right there. So I could end up bypassing the hangover or alleviate it a little bit and then also seem a lot more functional. And then before I walked out the door, I'd end up having – 300 more milligrams thrown into a shaker bottle, which I would end up drinking that before I end up getting to work with another bang to be able to pop open by the time uh, detail started. So roughly my morning started off with about 900 milligrams of caffeine. Um, And the razor's edge was the fact that I had to have myself planned out in advance. Um,
2: To be a functioning alcoholic as much of the percentage of the days you could?
0: Well, not just not just that, because um, I, I was also, I mean, DWIs, um, unlawful carries, all thi- things like that end up going hand-in-hand hand while you're drinking copious amounts. So what I ended up uh, doing was I ended up only, I, end, I knew it was only going to be a fifth every single time for two years up until I ended up getting help. Um, on my way home, there's a liquor store that I'll just pull off at, walk in, get my fifth, go home, start drinking it. And then by the time that's done, because it would take me about that time, never quicker, luckily. So I'd never end up going, okay, I need to go out and drive and get some more. When my weekend would hit, I would have two or three handles of, uh, of liquor. And I would end up getting three just because in case it was Sunday or I ran out, I wouldn't have to cause it was average of two, uh, two handles over my weekend. But if I ended up going needed more or anything else like that, I never had to go drive. Um, and those days, I mean a couple of times I ended up going a little deep into a third because I mean, wake up in the morning, I have a hangover. I don't have to take caffeine cause I'm not going to work so I can just go on ahead and get hair of the dog and then just continue on throughout the rest of my day like that. But, all it would have taken was just a moment where I needed that drink. It, it At a certain point, it stopped becoming a luxury. It became a necessity. Um, and if I didn't end up having that or if it was Sunday or shit, well, they still serve, I could still buy beer or something like that. If I were to have got in my car, I would have definitely, even if I didn't even feel drunk because of the amount I was drinking, my 0.08 felt like nothing. Um. But I would have still been over the limit if I got into a car, um, if I screwed up on my timing, or if for some reason I drank more when I ended up coming home Um, and I wasn't able to check myself. I could end up showing to work work while intoxicated. There was just so many different things that could have just completely ruined my entire career because, I mean, and I would have lost everything I had because, I mean, uh, getting getting popped in Texas for a, a DWI, and once you're charged, you lose your license for 10 years. When you get a missed for a misdemeanor B, A above, you end up losing it for life. So I would have lost my license, which means I would have lost my job, which means I would have then not been able to pay the mortgage or any other aspect of there. So then I would have been in default of a, of multiple different things, and. I would have gone from what I had worked so hard in so many years to grind for, and it would have all been thrown in the trash. Um, so when I was talking about walking on a razor's edge, I was all it would have taken was just one slip up in any way, shape, or form, or aspect, and my entire house of cards would have fallen down immediately.
2: Who, Who knew you were going through this?
0: There wasn't a single person that knew.
2: So none of your family... No one. Are you living with anyone at the time?
0: Um, I had been uh, living with my fiancé for uh, four months before I ended up uh, making, making a, a call for help.
2: Um, what about um, coworkers? <clears throat> Are they recognizing anything?
0: Uh, nobody ended up recognizing anything because I would just end up lying. If uh, Sometimes I would end up showing up and I would end up having a uh, little bit of tremors in my hand. Uh, from from withdrawals. I mean, if somebody ended up noticing that or I show up and I'm a little hungover still because the caffeine hasn't kicked in yet and I look tired, all I'd end up having to say is, oh, I didn't sleep well at night. Or, oh, yeah, I'm a little shaky. I ended up having a lot of caffeine, which that part was absolutely true. (laughs) But the uh, reason behind the shake was not because of caffeine whatsoever. So I had an excuse and a lie that for just about anything and everything, and it was it's just so easily accepted because in our job we sleep like shit and we drink a ton of caffeine so as long as i had those two under my belt i mean i could end up explaining away anything to any coworker and nobody batted an eye
1: once you got with your uh, fiance and and y'all moved in together how much more difficult was it for you to maintain this schedule and did you start seeing yourself that it was that bad and you wanted to change. So
0: I had, uh, started recognizing that it was, <clears throat> it was bad before, um, she ended up moving in. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to explain like the, the mental aspect behind, uh, alcoholism, but there, there, was, there were, there's there several, several nights where, um, I was done drinking. I wanted to go to bed, but there was still a bit left in the bottle. Um, Not a whole bunch, maybe three ounces or four ounces left. And I would want to go to bed. And my feet felt as if they were planted in cement. And I would just be looking at this bottle going, I want to go to bed. I don't want to have another drink. Um, And the little voice in the back of my head, devil on my shoulder, whatever you want to call it, was telling me, you're not done yet. You have to finish this. And I was outwardly, not inwardly, but just saying the words, I don't want to have another. As I'm pouring the drink, and then I'm looking at the shot in uh, my shot glass going, I don't want to have this drink. And then as soon as I end up finishing the rest, all of a sudden, like I felt defeated, but whatever it was inside me ended up saying, now you can go to bed. Now you can walk and, uh, and go to sleep. Um, so that I already knew that there, there, there was a, a pretty big problem going on with me <clears throat> before um, we ended up uh, living together. It, be- it At first it became difficult, but then it just it became horribly easy with lying and coming up with excuses to get my drink. Um, so I'm, I I like to cook. It's one of the things that I, I pride myself on that I can do really well. So my kitchen, it has like that open section where you can see through to the living room. I have a couch kind of pushed up there. And so if she was sitting, uh, on there and I'm cooking in the kitchen, I can end up having my drinks because I have the skills going and everything's making noise, so I can just go on ahead and just thunk, pop that thing off. Pour two uh, two shots in my one and a half ounce shot glasses, slam those back in about like f- five seconds between pop, pour, on, down, and I would end up having six of those, maybe seven or eight in a cooking well, session. Yeah, while I'm cooking. And then I still have some that's left, so I'd end up uh, uh, be able to go to the the, uh, the fridge because the motor in there was a little loud. So I'd be able to pop that off right there and then just shot, bam, throw it back real quick, no problem. Um, I started always, I seemed like I was forgetful because I'd always end up saying, oh, there's something in my car that I need to go grab. Oh, I didn't grab my radio to charge it. Go out to the garage, pop a few back right there come back in, go back out going, ah, my flashlight's in there. I need to go on ahead and charge that up also, slam a couple more back right there. Um, But there's going to be that problem of the smell of alcohol. So what she ended up seeing routinely was uh, two drinks that I'd have. I'd end up pouring it into a glass over an ice ball, and I would end up sipping on that drink while I'm slamming back more. And then I'd end up pouring my second drink that she would see while I'm slamming back more. And this is all bourbon? Yeah. Good God. Uh, I ended up realizing, so um, that was a little bit of trial and error for myself also. I mean, I wanted something with a high enough alcohol content, but nothing that was going to really throw things out of whack, like hunterproof, proof uh, turkey or 100-proof uh, vodka or that, just that 45.7% uh, uh, I've been able to get that time down, unfortunately. So I just ended up keeping to that same schedule. But when I ended up realizing how easy it was to just keep sla- slamming them back with out of thought or anybody really thinking or seeing or anything, I mean, at first it was like, oh, okay, this ain't a big thing, but I, I'm like, I'm constantly lying, to, especially to somebody that I love that on how much I'm drinking, I'm hiding it, um, if, uh, I ended up, uh, going out, um, I would always end up pre-gaming before, um, I never drove, um, either I get driven to, or, um, Uber to everywhere I went, but I would end up pre-gaming before. So if one of my, uh, regular friends or coworkers ended up seeing me get way too drunk, it was so far and in between that it was just another thing that could just get chalked up to, oh, he just had a bit too much. As opposed to, there's a there's a major issue here.
1: That's a lot of calculations that you that you had to. I
2: don't know if we can release this episode. Yeah, he's going to give all these other yeah. people ideas on how to. <laughs>
1: it, you had it, you, Gordon. You had it down to a science for your own functioning, yeah. and how exhausting was that to have a basically a mental wrestling match every day and make sure you stay to your own schedule and that you've calculated?
0: So um, at first it became uh, a little bit difficult, but just routine and repetition, I mean, unfortunately it became. Survival. Not just survival, it just became easy to do, um, where it became my normal. It wasn't weird or anything else like that. That was just daily life for me.
2: So the lying's normal at this point, but Mm -hmm. did you. Did you ever feel that it was wrong and you knew it and you were shoving that aside, or did it actually become normalized to the point that you were accepting it and totally fine with it?
0: No. Um, I, I I started trying to get good at lying to myself on trying to say that this sure. is normal, this is fine, this is no big thing. Sure. But I knew deep down that this was a major issue. Um, I I had wrestled it with myself, and unfortunately it didn't actually come out on trying to get myself my own help and I mean when I ended up realizing it I ended up having this little little joke that I would end up saying to people if they end up seeing that I was drinking a little more than they than would normally see me drink and I at first it was it was just a little joke or like I'm a borderline alcoholic oh ha, ha ha, no big thing but at a certain point I would start saying that and all of a sudden I'm going i'm not borderline i know that there's a problem here and then the biggest the biggest thing that would that stopped me every single time was the next morning the next morning after i've uh i'm feeling horrible um most of the time i'd end up throwing up at least once in the morning before um getting my caffeine headache medicine into me and all of that but once it kicked in all of a sudden My mind is telling me, you're still here. You're feeling better. It wasn't that bad last night. So really, I'm playing against myself. And then finally, it's my addiction playing against me on making sure I keep doing this every single night.
1: It's like a demon. Yeah. You you talked before
3: about the effects of of vomiting that frequently. Uh, Explain
0: that again. So I ended up having to look it up, and then I ended up uh, confirming it um, with, a, with a doctor way later on. But I, got, I started getting a little bit worried when in the morning I would throw up, and just all of a sudden one morning it looked like I threw up black tar. And I remember looking at it, and I'm like, what did I eat last night that could have caused this? Cause most of the time I couldn't remember what I ended up cooking or eating or anything else like that. It wasn't until a little bit later on where it started to become more frequent that I looked it up. And then I ended up just throwing that away from my mind. Cause I'm like, Oh, I don't want to know that. But it got confirmed that it was a black tarry like substance that you're throwing up is, uh, blood mixed with acid. So I was tearing, uh, my esophageal lining and my stomach lining just slightly where I would have blood in my stomach and when it would mix together and that's what the result you'd end up getting when you end up throwing it up.
1: You recognize that something was wrong and did you know how to get help? Was I, it, it was from a department standpoint Did you feel like at that point that there was something in place that you could? Or did you even feel like you yeah. needed help?
0: I did feel like I uh, needed help, um, but I always threw that away. Because did you think this
2: was going to end eventually on its own, or you would just find a
0: way through life in this? I, I just assumed that I would be able to find my own way through life by just keeping, okay, this is working, what I'm doing. I'm not getting in trouble. Um, I'm I'm drinking home alone in the dark. I'm, I'm good this way as long as I have my alcohol and I can't drive. or or not can't, but I don't let myself drive. Um, As long as I'm triple zeroed out in the morning, I'm good for work. I can just keep the status quo, no problem whatsoever. Um, But I honestly did not feel if I said anything to the department at that time that I would get help, that I would end up being... Uh, demonized damned instead of a scarlet a, a scarlet d slapped onto my chest to walk around with as just being a disgrace
1: and you get buried somewhere Yeah, within, within an apartment they would end up putting me
0: somewhere where i can't see the general public or the light of day most likely again because no more hot calls no more no no more uh going to actually help people which is the whole right reason why we end up staying in this job
1: so i want to want to segue into twenty twenty two. Coming off the, on the heels of two very respected veteran officers uh getting arrested for DWI, Chief Garcia basically he he said that something's gotta change. We have to do something. Uh we have to put something out there, extending all of a branch to try something different and something new. And I remember when Chief Ramirez uh came to us uh, in the wellness unit and he basically said hey this is going to happen we are going to put out a policy and it's going to be 30 days for inpatient treatment for our employees if they come forward prior to having an alcohol related offense when i first heard that I-, I had i thought wow i don't i'm wondering if anybody's going to use this can you tell the listener what your reaction when you heard this announced so when
0: I ended up actually reading it um, in the email, I was at home and I remember reading it all the way through and then showing it to my fiance and saying, this is a crock of shit. This is, this is just another way to try to get people out there to put them somewhere else. Um, I had... Heavy mistrusts in the uh, the chain of command, internal affairs, just everything in general, just throughout the years, like uh, uh, a lot of other officers had. So my general, my general, my first reaction was, "This is bullshit."
2: So you shared this with your fiance. So at the time. Well, Did she know that you're dealing with this issue?
0: No, she she still didn't know it yet. I just ended up just showing her because I'm like, look at this shit. This is just something else that's just gonna try to bury some people or just ruin careers. This isn't going to be helpful. Um,
1: I, I've heard that actually from a lot of different. I'm still hearing it, you know. And, and there's a lot of there's a lot of people in our department. They 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 they're not aware that that people have reached out about this and. Um,
2: I would say yep. most officers have no idea how many people have actually turned to the wellness unit right now for help because now, they they've hit that point that they they're desperate and they'll take that chance.
1: Yeah. So whenever you decide you heard this, you thought it was bullshit cuz we, you know, I've, I have I kind of was thinking and I remember telling uh Lieutenant uh, Rivera and Sergeant Figueroa when this first came out, I said I I believe if we have one person in a calendar year To go through this i think we can look at this policy as a success because it's a big deal for somebody to come forward and it's it's a lot of courage to come out and say first i have a problem and i'm going to take a leap of faith in this department policy because you know the policy is one thing but there's still some fear of the ramifications after you go through it right what point did you get to where you decided to take that leap of faith? And can you tell the listener about the night you sat down with Megan and said, I have something we need to talk about?
0: Yeah. So I didn't really put this, uh, this, the reason why I ended up coming forward in my opinion, it's just, it was divine intervention or cosmic universe, whatever anybody wants to end up calling it. Um, so she had, uh, started getting me to go back to church again or over the last uh, three months. We'd been together for a year and a half, um, engaged. And so I was like, all right, fine. We'll, we'll start going back to church again. Let's go to mine, because it's just right up the road in uh, Capel." So I knew better being Catholic than to accept the Eucharist because it's, it's a sacred rite for us. And I mean, you gotta be right with God before you end up taking it. And so I was never accepting it uh, while going. And then just one Sunday, well, we're in there. Something inside me told me, "Okay, get your ass up. You're good." Right. So I ended up and went and accepted it. And then just you know, here's the blasphemous part. Also, I was also slamming back three or four shots before going out the door because um, she would end up driving. So I'd just slam three, four back and then go to church because um, I had to start my day out somehow. Um, so that night, everything's staying exactly the same as it has always been with, uh, my drinking and I'm sitting, uh, uh, in the recliner, she's right next to me on the couch and I'm just, uh, sipping on my drink like normal. Um, and then all of a sudden I just, for nothing that I can describe, I ended up just setting my drink down and I, I just planted my feet on the floor, leaned forward, and I went, we have something I need to talk about. And she ended up seeing that I I wasn't smiling. I wasn't, I did not look happy. Um, Disappointed, defeated would be a better way to describe how I looked. And so I just ended up laying everything on the table to her. And I mean, this has been going on before we even met. So she was blindsided. She had, she had an idea that I drank a little bit more than I did, but absolutely not to the extent that I was drinking.
2: It's been going on for six years
0: at this point. So, uh, it had been going on for six years, but the, uh, the fifth five days a week with the minimum two handles on the weekend was for the last two years. Um, so the heaviest point that I was at was before we even met. Um, so I just, I, I blindsided, cold cocked her with the information, essentially. And we had a very, very long discussion about it. She ended up, uh, bringing up some point in the conversation or reminding me about the, uh, the wellness unit and all of that. But the biggest thing was at the very end of this whole thing, she just looked at me and said, do you need help? And I just, I broke down when I have needed help for six years, much less the last two years. And she just went, you're going to talk to your sergeant tomorrow morning. So next morning I wake up, I do my normal ritual, throw up, grab my Excedrin, get my caffeine in me. I'm like, okay, I'm feeling good. Okay. Wasn't that bad, just like normal. Just that little demon inside me, just going like, "See, you're fine. Everything's good. You're alive, and you're about to become awake from the caffeine." Well, she uh, she leaves for work about in the same time I do right now, and so when we're both about to go out the door, she just ends up throwing to me again. She goes, "You're going to talk to your sergeant when you get to work." I'm like, God! And now I didn't even remember, but I had drunkenly text my sergeant saying nice after no after after it was it was just real simple because yeah that's that's never good especially when you're almost blacked out again (laughs) so i ended up uh texting her and i went hey when detail's over i need to have a closed door meeting with you or something to that effect and it was just okay so i forget what we had going on but we ended up having something where we all kind of left and then i just ended up getting a hold of my sergeant again i was like hey are you in your office i need i really need to talk to you so i go up and i meet with uh, sergeant valentine and i mean you come into her office she's she's chipper she's just like hey so what's going on and then she sees me close the door behind me and just sit down and so i real quick yeah
2: what kind of officer are you to them like are you the serious guy? Or are you someone who's kind of just disappears and does your work and doesn't say so, much? So for you to go in and close the door.
0: So I love to to joke around, um, have fun. I also like when I go out, like it's like when I focus in on something I go at a full tilt. So I mean, basically actually going to uh whatever it is that I'm being pointed at, it's just dead serious going at it, but Outside of that, behind closed doors and that, I'm just laughing and joking and just trying to, trying to have fun and lighten the mood because really inside, I was just dying. Um, I needed to, at the very least, not just like, I didn't really, I'll be honest. I didn't really care about making other people laugh or smile or that. I was just trying to make myself laugh, uh, to make myself feel less shitty. So when I close the door and I'm not really, I'm not saying anything as I just go over and sit down at the chair, uh, sarge could tell that there's something going on and i just i broke down in front of her because she knew me uh before i was in her unit um and i was just a, another regular patrol officer um she was on a different watch than me but she had seen me just like go to calls she would stay over um to supervise a bit she knew me and i ended up just saying all of this and I went I don't know who I need to reach out to please help me
2: are you able to say her name
0: um yeah uh sergeant valentine she the look on her face was something that it it hurt because I respect her just so highly and I mean I mean, yeah, it may not have been a huge lie, but it was just lying every single time, especially while in her unit of, yeah, I'm just tired. Yeah, it's too much caffeine. Yeah, it's this when she's done nothing but just the the best for me. Um, so I ended up hitting her with this. And I, I'm not going to go into any detail on what she ended up talking about because it was personal, but she ended up getting to a level with me um, on being able to j- just the level of compassion, empathy, care that she ended up showing while I talked to her was just unbelievable. And then it just felt like the knife just being stabbed in deeper to me. I would have almost rather been just berated and belittled, uh, cause I already felt down. Um, but she ended up, uh, uh, telling me, she was like, I'm going to get a hold of whoever it is. I will find out myself and I will get a hold of you. And that was what ended up leading me to be able to talk to uh, to Joe. Um got to come down, talk to him, talk to uh Sergeant Fig. And I mean, every single time I was talking about it, because I did I I hated myself with the amount that I was drinking. I mean, I didn't realize it until I just went on ahead and opened that, that floodgate. But every aspect of myself I didn't like because of the drinking. And Even with Joe and Fig, and even when I ended up uh, talking to the counselors to the uh, rehab center for their uh, uh, pre-entry screening, I just broke down every time. And I I don't break down. That's the thing. If I do, it's because uh, my trainers end up telling me, okay, you can have a couple sniffles, stuff that shit down, go to the next call. So I just applied that to every aspect of my life in any way, shape, or form. But... Actually getting to talk to Joe and Sergeant Figueroa, um, it, it, that entire process getting there, it hurt. But, I mean, the biggest thing so far I've realized is if it's uncomfortable and it hurts, then you're going on the right way. Because if, it, if it's not, then you're, you're not being honest with yourself. You're not following through the way you should be.
1: Yeah, your sergeant uh she reached out to me and she just said that she had one of her troops uh troops that needed help. She never told me your name. She said I'm going to give him your number and he's going to call you. And I remember I was actually uh, in a um, in another recording session and I started getting a getting a phone call from a an odd number. And then and then it went to voicemail and then you'd text me and you, you didn't say your name. You just said, hey, this uh, Sergeant Valentine told me to call you. And I ended up calling you later that day, and we had a long conversation. And then I said, okay. And then I still do not know your name. So working under the veil of confidentiality is, uh, is important for the success of this, of this unit and this department when it, when it comes to dealing with uh, it, people that need help. When you came down to our office and rang the doorbell, that doorbell, that's the first time I had met you. I had seen you around, but it's the first time I had met you, and it's the first time that I that I knew exactly who you were. And Sergeant Figueroa and I came in here to sit with you again, and we sat here for almost two hours, kind of walking through the process of how the intake would look, and that's one that's one important piece that this wellness unit tries to uh, tries to we try to alleviate as much stress from the people that were helping like all the intake process, who to call the insurance process. And we just try to walk people through this as best we can. And I remember us asking you, do you want us to drive you down there? And the facility is like five hours away. Or do you want your fiance to drive you? And you were very, you were very honest with us and you told us you would rather us drive you. Can you tell the listener why?
0: So, I mean, it, it only took me a moment to think about it, but I mean, it was just everything going through my head all at once. And I realized if my fiance goes to drive me down, I mean, she told me that there wouldn't be a chance in hell, but I just thought that there'd be a chance, even a slight chance to be able to convince her to turn that car around at a certain point. I'd end up taking it. If I were to try to drive myself down, I knew that was not going to happen because Every day driving into work, that caffeine started kicking in and all of a sudden I'm going, see, nothing's wrong with me. I'm good. Well, that'd be, that'd suck if i on the way down to uh, the center, all of a sudden I just get that and overrides everything in me and I turn around. So I ended up asking you guys to uh, drive me down, it was cause I couldn't trust myself. I recognized I, in this aspect, I was going to be completely untrustworthy to be able to have just the simple responsibility of point my car and drive.
2: You know what I hear in all this it is actually accountability and ownership. So when you were telling the story about your fiance telling you, you're going to go talk to your Sergeant and the next morning you get up and take the caffeine and you're feeling pretty good. I would expect that you talked to yourself out of it. No, I did But you followed through and you did. You you followed through and you went in the office and not only that, but initially you couldn't meet with your Sergeant. And so you tried again later. Hey, do you have time? And then the fact that you knew that if your fiancé were to drive you, that could be a problem as far as following through, and so you chose for Joe and Sergeant Fig to drive you. I actually hear a huge strength in the accountability and the ownership in that. I mean,
0: at at that point where I was at, there was— I had been lying to myself more than anybody else. That was the only reason I could end up just, like, keeping myself from just laying on the couch for like three weeks of depression worth of just self-loathing because of this, I had to lie to myself more than anybody else. So the only way that this was going to work was I needed to cut the shit out for myself. I needed to be honest, which was one of the first times that I'd been that honest with myself for accountability. I mean, that's the only way that if you're wanting to get help that, you can actually get help and have it work for you.
1: What was going through your mind during that drive and then when you got to the gates of that of that facility?
0: So what ended up going through my mind in the very beginning was fuck, I need a drink because when I got home the uh the night before I ended up realizing okay, well I didn't want to be wasteful and get a fifth because I knew I was going to have to wake up really early and we're going to start driving down or we're going to meet up here at about 4 a.m. and then just start heading down. Um, So I ended up stopping off at the liquor store and I picked up instead of a a fifth, I ended up picking up eight of those mini bottles of uh, 99 proof vodka. Um, I got the flavored kind and then I had my pre-workout and a shaker just so that like my fiance wouldn't smell it as much because it was flavored it was 99 proof and then I was masking it also with the smell of the uh, pre-workout mix that I was drinking because um, I don't know why I was thinking that but I was thinking that anyways but I ended up killing all eight of those shots in 30 to 45 minutes it's not even 8 30 uh nine uh, nine o'clock and I'm going oh crap I'm not I'm not feeling it Not even, not even a buzz. I know I was over the limit, but I was at the point where I just, I didn't feel it. And even after like another hour two hours, still didn't feel it. I realized this is going to suck. It's going to be a long ass day. So when we showed up, I was already starting to go through withdrawals. Cause from the last time I actually had the normal amount to drink, it had been over 24 hours. Um, And then also... Knowing where I was going just didn't help at all. Um, so I started having some anxiety um, at that moment um, when I ended up seeing a Sergeant Fig and a, um, Massey show up. So we got in the car. I could already start feeling um, a little bit of a tremor in my hand and all that. So I'm just like, I'm just gripping my right hand with my left hand. Um, I'm just staring down at the floorboard most of the time or just out the window. I wasn't really being too conversational. I wanted to be because I wanted to try to take my mind off of just what was going on with me. But as the trip kept going longer and longer down the road, my hands started, both hands started shaking. Um, my foot started, uh, started like bouncing up and down. And then, because. When it wasn't, it was actually shaking as well, and I re like my body started going into panic mode um, because I I, I didn't I, I wasn't drinking I didn't have anything in my system compared to what I had the previous two years the night before, and so everything was already getting thrown out of whack. When I showed up at a, a hacienda, the rehab center, I was going through detox already, which they weren't super happy about. Um, Turns out if it's mainly if it's alcohol, they, they want you driven there if uh, uh, so that you can end up having stuff in your system so they can properly taper you down into detoxing. When I showed up, I or when I finally got into the uh, special care unit, uh, which is basically like the little emergency hospital inside the facility, which you have to go to each day for medication and whatnot, checkups, but they also have patient room beds in there. Um, by the time I finished the initial check-in and then Sergeant Fig and Massey drove off, and I go in there, my whole body was vibrating. And they asked me, they were just asking me how much I had to drink and all of that, like on a, on a regular basis. And they asked me how much I had and at what time. And I said, it was, it was eight shots of them of about a hundred proof vodka. And they go, Oh, what time? And I was like around, around eight, they go, it's nine thirty. They go, Oh, it's like an hour and a half ago. And I went, no last night they got a breathalyzer. They breathalyze me. I'm triple zeroed out. All of a sudden they're kind of going, Oh crap. They throw the blood pressure cuff on me, the heart monitor, everything. And I was 182 over 121 with a resting heart rate in the 120s. They started getting real worried real quick. Um, I didn't realize this, but apparently it's more common to die from detoxing off of alcohol than anything else. I wasn't aware of that. So. They immediately, right then and there, started me on a uh, on Ativan to start trying to taper me down, trying to get me so I wouldn't have a seizure or die or anything else along those lines, right there in front of them.
1: Well, what what did do the doctors tell you? you- so, um, so the
0: second day that uh, after your first night there, the second day they end up doing a blood draw so that you fasted the night before. Um, And then they, uh, they get three vials. They end up checking everything, your liver enzymes. Um, my liver enzymes were four to five times what's supposed to be normal. Um, from all the tests they ended up doing and the amount that I was drinking, it was probably going to be about a year to a year and a half before I would have been in liver failure, had a cirrhosis, massive cirrhosis of the liver. And then probably another year to a year and a half before I would have been dead, because, especially since they don't allow or don't do liver transplants to alcoholics because it would just be a waste of a liver. So essentially I was going to die in three years.
1: So divine intervention is the interference of a deity in human life, almost miraculous in nature. So while you're in your fifth day, you said, and you get an emergency contact from the outside. Can you tell a listener what happened and 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 how all that played out?
0: Um, yeah. So it, it wasn't a an emergency contact where I got called. Um, I was I was calling. They had certain hours that the uh, the phones were available for use, and then you had to use a prepaid minutes card um, to be able to call to the outside. So every night uh, that I was there. Except for the first three nights, because I was detoxing so hard, I would uh, I would give my fiance a call. They uh, they kept me in the unit for uh, for six uh, total days because um, they wanted, and that's a very uncomfortable experience because they hook you up to a portable uh, I think it's called an EKG monitor just to check your heart rate and your um, whatever's going on with it, and then they wake you, they end up waking you up three to four times a night to get your blood pressure and all that, so it's very uncomfortable, especially with every other aspect. Just like
2: a hospital. All right.
0: And just wake you up and don't get any sleep. That's why I don't go to hospitals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I'm detoxing. I'm starting to get towards the tail end of it. Um, and I call my fiance and we're talking on the phone. And then she kind of trails off and goes, there, there is something you need to know. <clears throat> and I'm like, oh God, I was like, what is it? I left her at at the house with three dogs and a cat and all of that. And I'm like, oh crap. I was like, I was like, what did I take a shit on the rug? She goes, no. And I'm like, oh, oh crap. Uh, that was a joke. And she didn't laugh even. My plumbing for both bathrooms with the uh, old cast iron that was underneath the house broke. So both bathrooms were inoperable. And then... She, uh, had, uh, just a plumber plumber come out real quick to try to just like make, like keep it from, uh, flooding and all of that. And while he stopped all that, he ended up uh, going, it looks like the foundation's a little compromised also possibly from this. I'm on day five and I'm detoxing. I'm getting told all this shit is happening. And I, I pretty much freaked the fuck out.
1: And you're many hours away from home.
0: I am five hours from home, and I'm going, how the hell can this be done? Um, My actual house is literally falling apart right now. While I'm here, there's nothing I can do. Um, My insurance, it's only in my name and all of this. Uh, We're not married, none of that, so she can't get on it. She can't do this. She can't speak on my behalf. My initial reaction was to run out of there. I remembered when we were coming in, I happened to pull my head up. I knew where the hunt store was, which is ironic. It's right down the road, uh, from a rehab center and their primary sales are beer. Um, so uh, like I could go down there and then I could end up just getting a, get an Uber or cab to go to, uh, the airport, which is a couple, of, uh, like two hours away, fly a DFW. I don't know how the hell I was going to do that. I didn't have my phone for an Uber and I don't know the number to a taxi cab, uh, So I didn't know what to do, so I ended up just, like, remember that my weekend counselor, because I got told this on Friday, and the weekend there is considered Friday, Saturday, and Sunday for in terms of counselors. And I went to talk to her, and she talked me down. So I got told the following day, we're allowed our our cell phones for 45 minutes once a week. It could be uh, since COVID, and that's how you can do FaceTime to be able to see your loved ones since they – are barred from being able to come in on the weekends i was allowed to get my phone about an hour and a half ahead of that time so i could start making calls to my insurance and this is where the uh, the bit of divine intervention came in I called my insurance company went through a lot of different busy signals to finally get put through to an actual person to talk to and i ended up just I wasn't gonna, I was like, I can't lie. I have to throw all my cards on the table cause I have nothing at this point. What's it gonna hurt? So I ended up telling her that I was on the phone with everything that was going on. And then I said, and here's the thing. I am five hours away from my house. I am in Hunt, Texas. It is a rehabilitation center. I don't know what to do. My fiance is there and she's not on my insurance. There was dead silence on the phone. And then I got asked by the woman I was talking to, which day are you on? It was technically day six, but I told her I went day five. Why? Because in my head, I'm like, who the fuck asks that kind of question after you end up saying you're in rehab? Her response was, I went through rehab myself last year. Keep it up. Hold on. Let me see what I could do. And I don't know if she ended up getting allowed to do this or she ended up managing to do it on her own under the radar. But she managed to put my fiancé, who isn't a spouse or anything like that, as somebody that could end up speaking on my behalf while I'm here for my insurance. And that just absolutely floored me because I was just another aspect of just letting go and... God, essentially, I mean, I know some people listening to this might end up saying, oh, it's about God. Well, it is on this one. And this was just another aspect of God working in a way that you wouldn't think that something happening should have happened. I mean, yeah, I mean, just because we're on the divine intervention, I mean, there couldn't have been just everything that happened to me up to this point could not have been laid out in any more of a way we ended up getting chief garcia uh as our chief somebody who cares about the troops somebody who ended up looking at a problem said i need something created so everybody sat down penciled something in and came up with the wellness unit he ended up having it implemented once it was implemented he went on ahead and ended up uh uh putting out the 30-day inpatient um, allowance for administrative leave. He ended up uh, having the uh, Place Network Investigation uh, program put into place. If he hadn't done that, then I wouldn't have been able to uh, get selected like I did to where I ended up having Sergeant Valentine as my sergeant, somebody who had more compassion than I think a lot of other sergeants. Not that it's just because, not saying sergeants wouldn't care, it's just one of those things where it's like, oh, shit. What the hell am I being told this is some massive shit? I don't know how others would have reacted, but I I know how Valentine ended up acting and then ended up getting me in touch uh, with everybody else after God saw all these dominoes up and looked at me sitting on the couch and just went, yeah, let's go on ahead and kick this domino over and get this party started. So, I mean, in terms of divine intervention, there's been quite a little bit going on to get me here today.
1: That's remarkable. And and there's, there's going to be more, there's going to be more to come as this is going to be, this is the beginning of a journey, right? Yeah. Before we off air, we were talking about it. Um, you, your body's going through the just the massive withdrawals and you know uh part of the withdrawals comes to hallucinations yeah right and um those are real and you had a an odd uh frightening hallucination you're kind of talking about can you talk about that a little bit to the listener? so
0: it was a it was more unnerving than anything else and uh i'm glad for uh one of the guys in my unit uh He used to, uh, he was a corpsman. So he ended up telling me because I came clean with my unit. It's one thing to be gone for a week, maybe two weeks. It's considered vacation. But when you're gone for over that, it's like, did he get fired? Where did he go? And I knew that Valentine would not say my name and it would just be one of these. And then more people are going to be asking questions. So I told them. And so I got How did you
2: tell them? I uh, texted everyone or emailed or sat everyone in the room.
0: So what I did with that was um, I texted my sergeant and said this is something I need to do since it's just six of us in this unit. After detail I need need to tell everyone. Um, So after we finished our regular detail, she led us down to a, a little conference room and had the door closed and then everybody's looking at her and she goes this isn't mine, this is Fulton's. So I ended up telling everybody just point blank what was going on with me and they ended up realizing um especially when I ended up starting saying that if we went out to lunch it was always seen if it had a fork where my hand was shaking so telling them was uh incredibly rough on uh on that part um I ended up uh, riding with uh, this one guy in my unit routinely, and he was a corpsman in the Army. And he ended up talking to me about uh, the DTs and whatnot and what I could expect in some way, shape, or form. What are the DTs? I do not know what the DT stands for, but essentially it is uh, going through hell while going through detox and withdrawals. Um, They said the name once, and then I just went on ahead and was like yeah i'll forget that now i guess (laughs) 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 i don't know why but it's just dt was a lot easier to remember than whatever it was called so one of the things it's not common but uh having hallucinations and i got lucky in the sense that i only had it uh for a short while on my first night um So I was in the special care unit, and the most that they'll have in a room is two people, one on each side of the room, like patients. And most people, it's just for a night, and then they get kicked out. I had a guy in there, um, uh, another law enforcement from somewhere else in the country. Um, So lights out, and then I just look over uh, to my right, and underneath his bed, I end up seeing this demon-looking just Fucking dude just staring at me with big-ass teeth, and I just looked at it, and then I just rolled back over, looked at the ceiling. And I was like, well, at least my partner told me this shit would fucking happen. Snap snapped my <laughs> ass closed, and I was like, fuck, I need to go to sleep so bad right now. <laughs> wow.
1: So I want to get into when you got through the 30 days, and I remember Sergeant Fig telling the group, said, hey, we're, we're going to go pick him up. And they went and picked you up on a Thursday of that week not that long ago and that friday morning you you stopped in the office because you had to drop off some paperwork that that you had from there and that morning it was pretty early and and it was on it was a friday and there wasn't anybody here except me and you came in it's the first time i had seen you since you left and you had a different look in your your face you had more color your eyes you you looked so you so much happier and full of life and you were telling me about the process and, and about how grateful you were for, for everything and, and how much it's life-changing. And you told me literally three times, please tell Chief Hersey he saved my life. And I was, you know, I was th- I kind of looked at the time and it was getting to the end of, of, uh, Comstat that day. Comstat's usually on Mondays and Fridays. And I said, well, let me go see if he's up there. So I went up there and I, I slipped in and, you know, all the chiefs are there, three, and then two stars, and Garcia, and all, all the other commanders. And I did this for for a lot of reasons. I wanted him to hear it. I wanted everybody else to hear it too, uh, of how important it was, and and what if they were even on the fence that this is not a this is not a thing in our department, and, and these kind of struggles. I wanted them to hear it. And I told I told Chief Garcia and. um I saw a reaction. He came up to me after the meeting and he and he talked about it again and there was a reaction. Then a few days later he reached out and he said, "Hey, if it's possible, can I can I meet this uh can I meet this man? If, you know, he knew he, it's all confidential, he wanted me to ask you if he could meet." And I reached out to you and and you said absolutely. Can you talk about that miniwood, chief? Uh, what that meant to you?
0: Yeah, so when you first told me, um, I was just kind of staring at my phone that the chief wanted to meet with me. <clears throat> I mean, outside of disciplinary hearings or something like that, I don't really know of a chief that specifically said he wanted to speak with a troop. Um, so, I was a little floored by that, and then I was a bit apprehensive about it. <clears throat> um, I wanted to meet the chief, I wanted to tell him, but also I did Really didn't want to go up there because for the entire time that I've been here, my main purpose that I've enjoyed is going out, helping the citizens of Dallas as a guardian, as a protector, doing what I can, then going home, uh, just being faceless, nameless. Just it was somebody, it was the Dallas Police Department, not this individual. So I knew that by meeting with the chief, that was going to change that quite a little bit. Um, Mainly because the four-star would have actually known who my name, who I was. (laughs) So I had, in my final days at rehab, I had gone on ahead and realized what had been given to me as a second chance. Um, So I ended up telling myself and telling God that, If there is something I can do to help out another officer on this department in some way, shape, or form, or some other um, alcoholic in the dark across the country in some way, shape, or form, I was going to do it. Now that I was not expecting any of this before I got my 60-day sober chip, but I ended up answering back to you that, yes, I would end up meeting with him. So Had you met
1: the chief prior to that?
0: I had never met the chief. Well, let me take that back. I met the chief once, and it was to shake his hand and get my uh, senior corporal badge when I promoted. Okay. Outside of that, never met him, never talked to him, occasionally saw him on a a broadcast because I don't watch the news, but it pops up every now and on to Facebook or Instagram or something else like that. So... We ended up getting the the date and time set and I ended up going up to, uh, to meet with him and the biggest thing I wanted to get across outside of just my absolute gratitude to this man for recognizing something wrong going on internally with the department that no one is seeing in another person because I always thought somebody saw something like outwardly wrong with me uh, while I was at work. But to actually get told by my sergeant, my coworkers, that they saw nothing in terms of that would scream help. I knew that I needed to meet with the chief more so than thanking him for my life and my career that this program needs to stay in place here. Because if it ends up just helping one other officer in this department alone to come forward and say, I need help, and this is still here, and if it happens to be because of something I said, then that's the biggest thing I could possibly do if, again, if it's just one person. That's the biggest thing I can do to give back and to help in some way, shape or form with what has been given back to me.
1: We're in the business of saving lives, right? And if you, your, your words can save just another peer, that would mean a lot to you.
0: It would mean more than anything that I've had, have, or could eventually ever have. Cause I know where I was at. Um, I mean, it was never you know anything where it would have been like feeling suicidal or anything like that, but just the absolute distaste I had for myself of where I was at, and just not being able to tell anybody because once you get that genie out of the bottle, there's no putting it back in there.
1: So, yeah. You you gave Garce, uh Chief Garcia a gift. I did. Can uh, you tell the listener what that was? So. While I was
0: at rehab, one of the things that they ended up having going on was um, uh, an activities therapy. Basically, it's something either it, it's something to do there, but it's really to be able to take home with you in terms of another skill or something that could end up uh, distracting you in some way, shape, or form if you end up feeling like you need to end up drinking or just any of that. So what I ended up uh, finally uh, making or falling in line with rather, uh, was making the, uh, the paracord bracelets. Um, I mean, it, I was absolutely horrible at making those in the beginning. Like I, I, I kept wanting warning. It's going to stay at my house just because of how bad it is. But I ended up, uh, getting it down. And basically it's all about having a certain length, being able to measure it, pain in the ass of keeping that measurement. Um, while tying in uh, the different braid onto it, it occupied my mind it occupied my hands um, and I realized this is something I can take home with me but while I was there I made I only ended up making four uh, successfully at the uh, at the end and I mean they ended up coming out of there the cord color that really was left because most of them were all cut up or chopped up and not long enough it was uh, uh bit of black and blue. So I ended up, uh, making four of those. Um, and when I went to chief Garcia, I, uh, at the end of the meeting, I ended up, uh, giving him one. And I mean, it may sound a little bit corny or anything else like that, but I told him that this was a little bit of a representation of my life that I'm giving to him. Um, I ended up, uh, talking a little bit more about it because, um, it's, a uh, so around my neck, I don't know they can't see it, uh, have a little medallion thing and it can get popped out and whatnot, but what I end up having around my neck right now, it's, uh, my 30 day chip that I ended up getting. And I told chief Garcia, cause, um, one of the things there is like when you get to leave, uh, or when you're the day before you leave, you get to talk to the whole community just about what you experienced or anything else like that and i told the community that when i came in i was terrified also because i was going to be a cop among addicts so i don't know i ended up getting to meet a lot of guys that like they had done nickels and dimes in prison and whatnot and they ended up telling me that they that i ended up changing their perspective on some officers and i realized there that no one's a cop no one's a uh, a felon everyone's just an addict in some way shape or form so when i was talking to them um one of the things i ended up telling them was i ended up pulling my 30-day chip out that i they uh they gave me that day since i was going to be leaving the following day which was my 30th day and i told them and i still hold this true that uh this 30-day chip i hold it as high of regards as my po badge that i got when i got out of the academy and the same height that i hold my corporal badge that i currently have it's just a piece of tin just a piece of metal with some other aspect put onto it in terms of monetary value it's not that much but the biggest thing is what's behind it i mean my po badge i bled and sweat and cried and got injured a couple of times with that it's all tarnished and chipped um the uh corporal badge it's uh it's fading a little bit it's been out in the weather uh a little now um but it has uh the training of some of these rookies that i've gone to have that symbolize behind that also and the chip it ends up holding the meaning because um it's, it was my restart, essentially like my rebirth. I mean, after six years of the same thing again and again and again, and now I've changed it. I hold it to just as much as significance as my badges. And after I had told Garcia that, I ended up giving him one of the paracord bracelets. And I went, it's the exact same as my badges and as the chip I have monetarily it's worth nothing but it's a representation of the life that he ended up re-giving me for a second chance literally and figuratively because I mean figuratively yeah, uh, there was only only three ways that this was going to end for me if I kept going down the same path it was going to end in my arrest my serious bodily injury or death or the serious injury and bodily death of another person Those are the only three routes that I was going to be going towards if I kept on what I was doing. And in terms of my death, it could have been I ended up finally slipping up from that razor's edge and drove um, and crashed my car. It could have been that within the next three years, I would have died from medical complications in some way, shape or form from my drinking. So when I gave that to Garcia, I legitimately meant that as it's a representation of my life. And, I mean, he could keep it on him, keep it on his desk, put it wherever. But that's, that's, what, that's what I ended up telling him there at the end of that meeting with uh, the bracelet that I ended up giving him.
1: Well, I can tell you that he was floored by it and still is. Um, he actually uh, tweeted out a, uh, a picture of it afterwards, and he, he said he is, he's been given a lot of gifts in his career, and he said this one, this one really got him. So it really touched him because he he understands the uh, symbolism of it. Having a policy in place is one thing, but actually having a true success story and and a true testimonial is, is especially early on in any policy or any program, it says a lot. And this policy is, gosh, it's not even uh, three months, maybe a little over three months since it's been implemented, and we're still figuring things out. As are you. You broke your own personal status quo. What would you say to the many peers that are out there struggling? If they're on the fence about getting help or reaching out within the department to get help, what would you tell them?
0: I would end up uh, telling them that it's, it's not easy that the mistrust that you might feel towards looking at the policy or anybody else that might end up seeing your name or hearing of through whispers or conversations possibly because you ended up admitting to it shouldn't matter it that is that was the hardest thing which i honestly would not have and i i hadn't gotten over uh When I ended up reaching out to my sergeant, I got help by actually reaching out to my fiance. And sometimes that's, that might be the biggest thing for most people because I had zero desire to come forward whatsoever. I had everything set. It was in place. It was working for me. As long as I kept the lie up that it was fine. If you're not going to end up reaching out, then immediately like that, then You need to reach out in a way that I did, which was I ended up talking to someone that I care about and someone that loves me and had a very, very difficult conversation because that started just peeling the layers off of my eyes that I was, I was, I was looking through to finally recognize I'm full of shit towards myself that what I'm doing is killing me, and it's, it, it's, going to, it's going to affect my career if it has not already in some way, shape, or form that I haven't even recognized.
2: This getting help was self-initiated by you, and obviously you were influenced by the Spirit or God working in your life. So as a follow-up to this question... Those out there are not going to actively seek help or self-initiate it. Is there anything that can be said or done for them to push them over the edge to start working on ownership of it and getting help?
0: So the biggest thing I would end up saying just from my own experience is you need to start not just looking at your own health and physical fitness you need to look at your spiritual fitness because i was able to trace all the way back to like when i started drinking more than normal um which was just like a social or normal drinker amount all the way back to uh Seven, seven not because of the traumatic event in terms of what I saw and felt emotionally, but because of my complete abandonment of faith on that day is where I ended up being able to draw the line back to. Now, maybe for some people, not so much. Um, but for me, uh, if, or rather, not for me, if uh, somebody is, wanting to start getting help, but not just outwardly say it to the department, I would end up saying, you need to take a look at your spiritual fitness. Where are you at on there? If you, if you believe, then where are you at on there? If you don't, I mean, I would, I wish I could have ended up talking to another individual a little bit more on his belief because I'd been able to talk more because one of the aspects is that the program that I got put into, it's a spiritual program a bit. Um, or that's where it's, it's based out of, but he was a complete and total atheist. So like a staunch atheist. And I never got to like, by the time he he couldn't wrap his mind around the, the God concept or con, uh, context. And that actually hurt him while he was in rehab for about a week, a week and a half. But I, I wish, and I need to talk to him on, what it is exactly he did because he was able to work around that for himself because usually that's what it is. If it's just science or God, whatever your higher power is, you need to start looking at your fitness on there first, work towards that and then slowly develop it on, okay, how is this going to work? I know for myself, if I had done that, it probably would have just ended back to where I was um, just strictly on that basis because I probably would have done some kind of, outpatient program and then been drinking on the weekends um outside of it but uh no that's that's where i'd end up telling somebody to start if they're not wanting to just come forward to their department
1: thanks that's a great answer you got back to work you're back on the streets putting bad guys in jail right You're, you're out serving the citizens right you didn't get buried somewhere right
0: so less than uh see what time did we get back we got back at like around six or seven in the uh the evening less than uh 12 or no less than 16 hours later i was back at work and i was uh serving uh a warrant wow with my unit wow
1: gordon you have a very promising future not only personally, but professionally. You have a new fiance. Uh, I look forward to getting an invite to that wedding. You will. For Departmentally, you are very close to taking the next step in your evolution as a Dallas police officer. Is that correct? Can you tell the listeners what's on the horizon for you?
0: So what's on the horizon for me is one of the things that I was using as in anchor to keep me from coming forward originally. Um, last year, I ended up taking the, uh, or no, this year, rather. The beginning of this year, I ended up taking the uh, sergeant's promotional test. And through the, uh, the rounds of promotions, I'm 26 away from getting promoted on this department. And that was something else I was originally using to hold myself back, because I'm like, again... Having that scarlet D thrown onto me to be buried, that's going to get stripped away because it's going to be seen as a lack of being able to be a leader. In my mind, I was thinking, but, um, one of the things I ended up getting told by, uh, primarily you, Joe, was that from chief Garcia, that this is not going to have any kind of impact shape or form on my ability to promote.
1: No, it's not gonna have any impact on your ability to promote nor apply for positions. And that's written into the policy. Uh, and that's the message that we that we wanna get out there to the troops and the people that are struggling. So Gordon, one of our, our issues with the department, our current
3: culture, is that we always say to, to, to stay quiet about our issues and to, and to pack it away. Um, it it needs to be more common and more accepted to recognize that we do have issues because just not admitting that we we have an issue doesn't mean that we don't have it. Um, I think it's huge. Number one, your self recognition, your self awareness. You know, you you've, you've kind of you're beating yourself up a little bit about the things that you did, but the fact that you recognize what you did is is enormous. And I don't know that you give yourself enough credit for that. Um, your courage to stand in front of this group period in a a group of microphones and tell everybody what you went through and and how you felt about it is, is even more remarkable, I believe. Um, And it's, it's needed to get our department to start looking at it's okay to say that you, you're not where you want to be, you know, and it's, it's gigantic for someone to come forward, especially, like I said, or Joe said earlier, uh, if we have one person in a calendar year that that uses this, I'd say it's already a success. Like one person, you know, we, we say it all the time, if it affects one person, so if they decide tomorrow that there's no funding for the officer wellness group or they just don't believe that it's working or whatever, we can hang our hats saying that we walk away as winners right now because of, of what you did by admitting that you need to do something and your recognition of that. So I want to commend you for that.
1: Gordon, I can't thank you enough for having the strength to, for one, make that call after Sergeant Valentine spoke with you and then coming down here and meeting and then laying out a plan because it wasn't it wasn't immediate. You had to you waited a week. You suffered a week before you actually went on that that trek for five hours. You had a lot of opportunity to back out and to, to change your mind or just uh just ghost us. You know, I was actually really concerned with that. Uh but you didn't. You showed up. You went down there. You took you took care of yourself. You did the right thing, and now your mission and your new why is to help your peers out to come forward that it may be struggling. There are people out there struggling.
0: Uh, I I I know that there are because, um, like I had said, one of the, one of the things that scared me the most that I got told after I came back was when I talked to my sergeant, and she had seen me throughout the years and all the way up to this point where I was this far gone, um, she told me that she had no indication that I was going through what I was going through and that I was doing what I was doing. And not only did it scare me a little bit that I, I was able to hide it that well, but one of the things that i had been thinking about was, okay, if I'm able to hide it like this, how many others are in the exact same boat that are just holding it back? Um, as a, as a, far as uh, what you're saying with um, being able to come forward, a little bit I had to. Uh, I, I was being a bit of a hypocrite up to that that point, also. Because um, yeah, I got I got trained by some older heads that uh, it was just stuff that shit down, call tonight, wake up, go to the next call have a good morning just don't talk about it um two of my rookies uh uh cardenas who ended up uh uh recently he went over to a chicago pd because that was that was his dream place to go so i didn't hold anything against him for that um and then there's another officer i'm i'm not gonna say her name because i don't know if she wants to but i mean fantastic rookie smart as a whip can handle her own um there's a little bit of an issue on the Department of from what I ended up hearing from uh, one of the, your other podcasts about overexposing somebody. I believe that's true unless it's handled in a certain way, which is what I was trying to do with them. If it was if it was a dead body call or a fatal car accident, yeah, I ended up I was one of those that ended up saying, uh, let me get that call for training. Um, because it, it, it is something that needs to be exposed to, um, the difference that I did that made me an absolute hypocrite while I was with them was after we finished up what we were doing, I sat them down. I don't even have these numbers anymore, but I never used them. Um, there were some psychological services. Those were the only numbers I knew. I didn't know about really the ATO or any possible outside help i just had uh the primary ones and i talked to them about what they were feeling what they saw how is this affecting you and i knew what i knew what the answer was going to be whether it was truthful or not i was like oh no i'm fine everything's good and all that which i know is not true uh in some way because i wasn't um after paul miltenberger's death um i carried that one around forever um I ended up I gave them the numbers. I told them these are numbers to call. these are numbers and to individuals to reach out to. if you need to talk about it, talk to me about it. Meanwhile, I was not talking to anybody myself um, but yeah, I just wanted to follow up with uh, that part because it is it was something I recognized when i uh got or before I ended up uh going to rehab, the rehab center, rather, I mean, not even while I was talking to you guys, uh, initially that now if, if I'm going to be promoting this, that people need to get out and talk, I need to be able to get out and talk this whole stuff it down, isn't going to work. It's going to lead to where I got to, which was, I have, I have have no, I have no alcoholics in my family, by the way, not a single one. But you can end up becoming one if you cross that line, where your mind will... You have changed your brain chemistry, where now it relies on it. I'm not gonna be able to drink again. If I do, it's, it's progressive. Um, the best way it was uh, shown to me is, it's basically on an upward chart on your ability for tolerance. As soon as you cut it off for being sober, it doesn't mean that when you restart you start at the bottom again to keep going up it's still a progressive illness so say you stop for 30 days that line still keeps going up invisibly but it's there so when you restart you may start initially okay it's just a beer two beers but if very quickly you're no longer going to be at this old normal that you're at you're going to start way up higher because it just kept progressing so yeah, that just falls into. You need to reach out and talk to somebody, and not be holding and hoarding in all this crap that you see. Again, that that's another thing, though. Your experiences
3: of, of what you've gone through are, are definitely going to help you and your ability, not just in this job, but in life. You know, it's a it's a burden now that you have to carry because if you see it in other people, it's your job to, to step forward now and, and say, Hey, I've been there too.
0: Yeah. you know, and you get to share that experience with other people. And I mean, I, I, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't consider it a burden at this point. I mean, it, it's a responsibility, but it's not where it's going to be impacting my life in a negative way. Cause I know where I was at. I know where I was headed. And I mean, if somebody ends up reaching out for help or has questions, I'm going to be there because I ended up having people there that I didn't recognize fully. Um, I had driven people away. And I mean, there's, there's this one, there's this one girl, she's essentially like a little sister to me. She's been that way for years. And I did, I had to make amends to her because I was never, physical angry drunk I was either just happy or I was emotionally hurtful I knew and I was just always able to just for anybody find that one little thread and just rip it out of them and I did that to this one person but she stood up when I ended up reaching out to her and three additional people for help while I was going to be gone to help out my fiance in some way shape or form whether it be the dogs or this or that so because I had these people that were able to help me, it's not a burden to be able to have somebody else that I'm seeing or they reach out to me.
1: I think that's a perfect way to wrap it up. I wanna thank you for your service. I wanna thank Sergeant Wolverton sitting in, Danny, thank you as always, getting your hands on all these. I look forward to seeing your next step as a leader because I think you're gonna take what you learned from this entire experience and you're going to apply that to your leadership style and help others and guide other young officers and even even older officers. I think they can learn a lot from you. And I think people across the country are going to be inspired by this story. Thank you. Thank you. I want to give a message to other departments out there. If you you have employees that are struggling, you have people that are hiding in the shadows that are that are dealing with the same issues or they're not dealing with the same issues as well build something for them they will come it could save a life
4: Hey brother, hey sister I'll never give up on you Hey missus, hey mister I'll see this all the way through No matter how far the sun and the moon, I'll never give up on you. And when you're lonely, I'll pull you up. Life leaves you heavy when the going gets tough. I'll be your shoulder, together we'll Up from the bottom Yeah, we'll rise above Hey, brother, hey, sister I'll never give up on you Hey, missus, hey, mister I'll see this all the way through No matter how far Sun and- Never give up on you. Hey, Mrs. Hey, Mr. I'll see this all the way through. No matter how far for the gold and the blue, I will never give up on.